91.3 WLRN presents Topical Currents. One wouldn't consider Florida, the sunshine state, the place of vacations and retirement condos as a major influence in the soul music revolution of the 1960s, but it was in a major role. Good afternoon, Joseph Cooper, Bonnie Berman. Today, we'll revisit some historic factors in Florida's and especially Miami's contribution to soul music. Our guest is John Capuya, a University of Tampa journalism professor who's compiled a tremendous amount of historical material in his book, Florida Soul, from Ray Charles to Casey and the Sunshine Band. Detroit, Memphis, the Big Easy, Macon, and Muscle Shoals were big contributors, but Florida and Miami rank high in importance. We'll be hearing some great music in the next hour as well, so turn us up a bit. Back in minutes after the news. He wrote the song. He actually went down to Miami, and the first Twist record ever was recorded at Henry Stone's studio in Miami. Uh, And then it turned out there was some legal problems with that. So Hank Ballard went back to where he was supposed to record, King Records in Cincinnati, put out the Twist, uh, Hank Ballard and the Midnighters, had a you know modest R&B hit with it, and then Dick Clark in Philadelphia thought, I should cover this by somebody I can control. This is the story. And he got a young man who he called hmm. Chubby, Checker Chubby Checker to re-record that song. He had Chubby on American Bandstand, and the thing blew up all over the world. So on the 50th anniversary of the twist hitting number one on the pop and R&B charts, I investigated for the Tampa Bay Times, our newspaper, whether this urban legend, you know, had any truth to it, and, and it turns out it does. Did he? So, did hmm? did Hank Ballard get um, the what he should have gotten when that became the hit uh, financially? Yes. Oh, okay. Yes, you know, um, unusually, rarely, yes, he did. Um, yeah. He he got he retained the songwriting uh, rights, which many producers just lifted and took for themselves, as you probably know. And so every time, you know, every Chubby Checker song, Hank Ballard made out. And he, you know, he appreciated that. He thanked Chubby Checker for that. And uh, so he actually did well, even though he didn't get to have the global hit that Chubby Checker had. Well, the twist, of course, spawned a lot of other dances. Can you remember them? The Jerk. What about the Mashed Potatoes? Mashed Potato. The Pony. What? Watusi? The Watusi. The, the Watusi, right. <laughs> and, and if you were really bad, really, really bad, yeah, it was right. the dog. Oh, I don't remember that. Oh, yeah. That sounds bad. Yeah, I don't yeah, know that one. I, <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking frug, jerk, and fly. Yeah. And the monkey, oh, right, yeah. the frug. <laughs> yeah. Right. So uh, why did you want to re, Did you want to put Florida on the map for this? I mean, Florida is known for a lot of things. Is that why you wanted to write this? Well, I want to write it for me. I'm not writing it for Florida, but, <laughs> <laughs> but but the truth is, you know, I I was astonished to find out that you know the, Florida had as rich a soul history as anywhere else I can think of, and I wanted to pursue it as a passion project. But I also thought, you know, maybe I could contribute something to the understanding and the scholarship about soul music in this country, and. Um, I think Florida not only deserves a place on the map of Seoul, you know, there should be a big star there where Florida is, but also I wanted to acknowledge some of the artists who created this music. Um, obviously, Ray Charles doesn't need any help from me, and neither does Casey and the Sunshine Band, but there were a lot of other artists who, you know, had a couple of hits or whatever, or, and I wanted to bring their careers back into the limelight and just to honor their contributions. And one of the greatest things about this project was sitting down with the people who survive 
and having them tell me about their careers and in particular their craft, you know, and how they made the great music that they produced. Now, in the 80s, of course, there was the Miami Sound created by the Estefans, but of course there was a Miami Sound in the 60s. Can you describe that and give us a little bit of the historical aspect of it? Sure, thanks. Um, It turns out, you know, if there's a central figure in all of this, it's actually probably not Ray Charles. It's a producer in Miami Mm. named Henry Stone. And he uh, was a transplanted New Yorker also. Uh, Came down here, I believe, in the late 40s and uh, started a distribution company and then became a producer. And he, for example, he produced some early Ray Charles songs, including one called the St. Petersburg Blues, Uh, and he produced and he formed KC and the Sunshine Band. So the whole span of my book from the mid-40s to, let's say, 1980, Henry Stone is involved. And he also produced many, many artists in between, uh, like Timmy Thomas um, and uh, Gwen McRae. Do you remember there was a song called Rocking Chair? Mm -hmm, Um, He actually did some of Sam and Dave's earliest work was recorded for Henry Stone before they went to Stax Records in Memphis. So he had his hand, and some people would say he had his fingers, in so much of this music. Um, So he assembled a great, uh, he and his producers, including a guy named Steve Alamo, they assembled sort of a crack studio band. Wasn't he also a singer, Steve Alamo? Yeah. Yeah, Yeah. I remember him. Yeah, he was kind of a blue-eyed soul singer, and he had a hit uh, called Every Day I Have to Cry. That's it. And he became a producer, and... They, you know, there's a band that they called the Funk Brothers at Motown that was on all of their hits and backed up every one of their singers. And they had the equivalent at TK Productions, which was Henry Stone's company. And they had two keyboard players. There's a guy who goes by Lattimore, um, who is a great soul singer in his own right and is a chapter in my book. And they also had Timmy Thomas on the organ. Timmy Thomas is the gentleman who sang the song, Why Can't We Live Together? That was a huge hit in the early 70s has been covered by many people. And uh, I'm actually appearing with Timmy Thomas in your city on Monday night. We're going to do a little event at Books and Books right. in Coral Gables where I'm going to give a talk about the history of soul music in Florida and Timmy Thomas is going to perform on his keyboards. Would you like to hear a little bit of songs. Why Can't We Live Together? Let's hear it. It's a beautiful song. of the drum machine. Everybody's still asking. <laughs> it's a Lowry organ. Timmy Thomas. That was uh, released in 1972, um, John. Tell mm-hmm. us a little more about Deep City Records. 
Mm, Remember, okay. we did something on it on this show. Yeah. Because they mm-hmm. did a documentary, I think, on WLRN TV. There was a big one on Channel but, 2 also. Oh, okay. Yeah, there was a terrific documentary I saw about this label, which is thought to be, although it's hard to prove, the first black-owned record company in Florida. And uh, so there was a gentleman named Willie Clark, who uh, was a producer and a songwriter there, and later went to go work for Henry Stone. And he and a, a, a classmate at... FAMU, Johnny Pearsall, uh, formed this company after they got out of school, and they actually, uh, along with a confederate of theirs who went by uh, Clarence Reed, later known as Blowfly, they discovered Betty Wright when she was maybe 13, 14 years old. So that's a good first artist to come across. And they also recorded a woman named Helene Smith, uh, who had some local hits. Um, So they produced some classic soul that... uh, Record collectors all over the world are still paying a lot of money for it if they can find a copy of these things. I just saw somebody in Japan offering $1,000 for one of these singles that Deep City produced. And they had their own distinct sound, too, that sort of came out the way Willie Clark explained it to me out of their uh, being in the marching, the famous marching band at FAMU, you know, right. the Marching 100. So they were percussion-heavy and horn-heavy, and they also had some great singers out in front of their house band. And they were Dade County school teachers. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They taught for many years, as did Timmy Thomas. Um, he taught in the Dade schools there for decades. Our mm-hmm. station is licensed to Miami-Dade County Public Schools. Mm. So there's a tie into soul music. Yes. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Why don't we, uh, before we take our break, Michael, why don't we listen to Betty Wright? Uh, John, she was in our studio about a year, maybe a year and a half ago, on uh, did a live performance um, Wow. During our Arts Beat program yeah. with Ed Bell, it was really quite a treat to meet her and see her rehearse that song, too. So let's hear, hear uh, Clean Up Woman, 1971. Mm-hmm. And the hits just keep on coming. <laughs> Currents, that's Betty Wright singing Cleanup Woman from 1971. We're speaking with Professor John Kapoya. Kapuya. Uh, he teaches journalism and nonfiction narrative at the University of Tampa. We're talking about his book, Florida Soul, from Ray Charles to Casey and the Sunshine Band. A short break, and we'll be right back. Stay with us. We're back. It's today's Topical Currents. Joseph Cooper, Bonnie Berman, and also author John Capoya. We're talking about his book, Florida Soul, From Ray Charles to Casey 
and the Sunshine Band. If you'd like to join in with a comment or a question, you're certainly welcome. 1-800-743-9576. 1-800-743-WLRN. Also, email, keep them short, please, radio at wlrn.org, radio at WLRN. Perhaps if you're listening and maybe you're a little older and maybe you <laughs> frequented some of the 60s and 70s clubs here in Miami, particularly the Barn, which was the the house band was Wayne Cochran, of course, and also a lot of clubs in the Overtown area and Liberty City. In Overtown, particularly before the construction of the highways, which really divided that community and were sort of the beginning of the end of that great club mm. life of things like the Sir John and those areas. Okay, so I want to go back with you to the 40s. Wait, first I want to tell you, we just got an email. Please tell John that Kim at HCI says, congratulations, great job on the interview, plan on seeing you on Monday. I guess you understand that, yes? Yes, thank From you. Kim Weiss. Okay, all right. All right. Um, okay, so let's go back to Ray Charles. I, I know mm-hmm. a lot of times I said, gee, I didn't know that. <laughs> with your book, mm-hmm. there were so many things I had no idea that Ray Charles is from Florida, and then you were able to interview people who played with him. So, and of course, Joe and I were talking about when you hear Georgia on on my mind, you always think he's from Georgia. You know, I thought the same thing. I mean, <laughs> I'm kind of embarrassed to admit it right now, but uh, and it was written by Hobie Carmichael. I didn't understand that he was from here, and um, I think that's part of the reason that. Florida's soul, you know, in the aggregate has not gotten that recognition is because people don't associate these artists with that state. Um, uh, you know, Ray Charles, was he, he was actually born in Georgia, but he came, he moved to Florida when he was six months old, grew up here, went blind here, became a musician here, went to the school for the deaf and blind in St. Augustine uh, in Florida, and had his first professional uh, work in Jacksonville, Orlando, and in Tampa, and he he left Florida in about 1949. He was about 20 years old, and I think since he had his greatest success after that, people don't understand that the foundation and you know the skills and his whole musical upbringing happened here. And I, I, in fact, he says, and I use this in my book, there were so many great musicians in Florida right before and right after the World War II that you really had to raise your game. And he understood that he would have to bring it if he was going to make a living. And he's also said, as a blind guy, I didn't see how I could make my living any other way. And he said, Florida toughened me up. When I was reading it, I was wondering if he worked a little bit maybe with Cannonball Adderley, some very famous famous Florida jazz player. I, I, I and, think and he, he might was have in because, Central Florida. Yeah, at, at different times, I know they were both in... Uh, something called the Manzi Harris Orchestra in Tampa. Yes, and I think they also might have performed both with Charles Brantley and his Honey Dippers. And I did meet, uh, I interviewed in my book, as you mentioned, I found a couple of guys here, a tenor saxophone player and a trumpeter who worked with Ray Charles in Tampa in those bands in the 1940s. And How did you find them? them? You know, I'm a journalist. Hey, I'm a reporter, you know. <laughs> I, I, I could find them. you if I have to, yeah. Well, I guess I guess so. That's so well, cool, also, though, that you – go ahead. It is, and I should say, you know, it's some of it is, is persistence and some of it is luck. You know, people help me, as they always do. And, you know, one musician tells you the other one, tells you about another one, tells you about another one. And this gentleman in Tampa, for example, who I interviewed named Ernie Calhoun said – you know who was a great player who was from Deland, Florida, is a guy named Noble Thin Man Watts. 
And so then I, I investigated that, and he had some instrumental hits in the 50s, and I was able to interview his widow, and there's a whole chapter in there, as you saw, about the thin man. You know, it made me wonder why Florida attracted all these musicians. You said after World War II, there were a lot mm -hmm. of great musicians here. Well, mm -hmm. why did they all come mm -hmm. here? And generally, the migration was north, of course. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, you know, I think there's a lot of different factors that made Florida the sole capital that it is. And, you know, we have to think about, well, which is really the most important? As you just said, Florida's population exploded after World War II. And, for example, between 1950 and 1970, the population of the state went up two and a half times. Um, so you and you had like 1.7 million African-American people in this state. Um, you know, Ray Charles being born here, that's luck, right? Um, uh, but there were some things that really helped nurture this music. Uh, for example, it, after World War II, Florida was, was the most urbanized state in the South in that there were more cities with greater populations than any other state in the South. So that's where the fancier nightclubs were that Ray Charles got to play at, like the two spot in Jacksonville. Um, and at the same time, as you know, there's a huge cadre of agricultural workers in the state. So we had both the urban and the agricultural audience, the, the rural audience for this music. You know, those were, they, they went to the little juke joints out in the country. But as a result of these two things, what they called the Chitlin Circuit, right, which was the venues that were available to black performers to perform in for black audiences, which was a national thing. Right. Florida had the longest Chitlin Circuit of any state except maybe Texas. So musicians said, came here in some part or they definitely at least wanted a tour here because that's where the work is, right? Between playing for the sugarcane workers in the muck, as they call it, the Everglades, and playing in the big cities, um, they could find steady work along this whole length of this state. So I, that's one factor. Go, go ahead. ahead. No, go ahead. I, I, well, the other, you know, there's a couple other things that really helped. I think one of them is FAMU. You know, there's a, there's a tremendous music program there at Florida Agricultural Mechanical, right, um, that spawned many of these musicians, and they were highly trained. They became producers, and they were Noble Watts, who I just mentioned was a, a, a student there. Willie Clark and Johnny Pearsall, who founded Deep City Records, came out of that program. So did Cannibal Latterly, right, and his brother, um, Nat, the cornetist. So that was, a, you know, a happenstance that favored Florida. Um, I think also some of it um, is that Florida, unlike other southern states, has some Caribbean and some Latin influence that other places don't. Um, so, for example, I didn't know, and most people still don't, that Casey and the Sunshine Band was originally called the KC and the Sunshine Junkanoo Band. Hmm. You guys know what Junkanoo the is? Bahamian. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Hey, good. Good one. You win a book. <laughs> Free we book. Celebrated um, in Coconut, we celebrated in Coconut Grove, which, of course, was founded yeah, by bah right. Bahamians. So there was a big Bahamian population. KC heard this music. This is Harry Wayne Casey is his real name. And he was a clerk at Henry Stone's record company, TK Productions. And he said he went to Betty Wright's wedding, uh, or, uh, and he heard the music there. And he had those horns and whistles and that percussion in his mind when he and his partner, Rick Finch, who also worked for Henry Stone, started to create their sound. Um, you know, in the song that we just heard, 
uh, by Betty Wright. That open those there's these two opening guitar riffs that you just played, right? And one of them goes dun 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 dun, right? That is the clave. That is a Latin rhythm. The clave beat. Let's we'll hear it again. That okay? No, we can't. Dun, dun, we can't. Dun, Let Michael dun, find dun. it. Oh, not for me, you mean? <laughs> no, I'm, yeah. no, that's okay, too. We were going to try and... Listen to these two guitar parts, both played by Little Beaver on guitar, no bass, and he came up with both of them. That's a good example. Yeah. There. See, that's it's a three-two beat. Boom, 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 boom. So, Little Beaver said he's from Arkansas. This is a guy who's a guitar player in that house band that I was talking about at Henry Stone's. And he said, when I came here, I started picking up on Latin music, and it made its way into you know my sound. So we had those things going for us as well. And you know, another thing that we always have going for us is good weather in the wintertime. <laughs> Yeah, right. And, for example, I mentioned in the book that some of these artists who came down here, like Hank Ballard, uh, was living in Detroit, working in an auto plant before he had his success. And then when he became successful, he decided, I'm going to spend the winters in Florida, man. I'm not going to stay up there in Detroit. So he was in Overtown all the time working in these clubs. And he hired people down there, and he influenced people. Um, little Willie John, a great singer uh, who died very young, was also from Detroit, he spent a lot of time in Miami as well because that's what people do from the north, right? They want to come to Florida. So even the weather helped us to create this big soul legacy. We're speaking with Professor John Capuya. He's an associate professor of journalism and nonfiction narrative at the University of Tampa and an author. His third book is the one we're discussing, Florida Soul, from Ray Charles to Casey and the Sunshine Band. And we are going to take a short break. When we get back, I actually have an email from Henry Stone Music (laughs) to Mm. read to you, John. So we'll be right back. And it is Topical Currents, Joseph Cooper, Bonnie Berman, and we continue our conversation with University of Tampa Professor of Journalism, John Capuya. We're talking about his book, Florida Soul, from Ray Charles to Casey and the Sunshine Band. John, I never really uh, earlier considered Casey as a soul band, but I guess it is by your definition. I guess because of the time frame that he wasn't popular until later. Yeah, well, I'm claiming them. They, they, <laughs> and they, I, they certainly know, I, did have a very uh, African-American sound to them. Yeah, they, well, they were a multiracial, multiethnic band. Um, a lot of African-American and Hispanic guys in that band. But, um, you know, KC himself is very sensitive about this. I, he, he maintains that what he did is rhythm and blues or soul. And he feels that it's been disparaged as disco, which or at some pop, point became yeah. a dirty word. Um, you know, I just go by my ear. I mean, to me, that's a soulful band. Um, I also find it amazing that, A, Harry Wayne Casey is still performing all over the world as KC. Um, he lives in Miami age. Lakes here. Does he? Yeah. Mm-hmm. He lives in and, Miami uh, Lakes. So I interviewed him for the book, and that these songs are played basically like you cannot go to a wedding or a bar mitzvah and not hear <laughs> KC, that these songs have become so much of our culture they're 50 years old maybe 40 years old and 
I, the other thing that kind of also led me to write this book was a similar instance when I was watching Monday Night Football, or I was getting ready to, and, and they were about they went to a commercial in their pregame show, and they started playing "Hold On, I'm Coming" by Sam and Dave, hmm. and I recognized it, and I and I thought, you know, that song is 50 years old. I mean, of all the songs that have been published and recorded in the last 50 years, those producers thought that's the song. You know. Isn't it amazing that a song that this group, which was formed and had their training and their first success in Overtown in Miami, that their music is still part of our life right now, 50 years later. I just think that's really impressive. And that was part of the impetus for this project. It is amazing also. And I had no idea, Sam and Dave, you know, that Sam was actually from Overtown and they made have their success here. But the amazing mm-hmm. thing about this music is I think we never get tired of hearing it. It's it it is still as current as it was then, and it's I guess I don't know what it is about it. If it's the beat, if it's the soul, if it's the rhythm, you know, what mm-hmm. is it? What do you think it is about uh, soul music that makes it so beloved? I think it's everything you mentioned, plus quality. You yeah. know, I if if you go on YouTube and you look for videos of Sam and Dave performing some of their hits, uh, for whatever reason, a lot of them are gigs they played in Europe where they went over there with Stax Records reviews. Um, and you see them sing and you see them dance and you see this band behind them. I mean, it's just the talent leaps off of this, you know, terrible resolution little video that, you know, I, I, I think the music was, was real. Um, uh, it is accessible. I think everyone in the world can understand the emotion and the the power of the singing and the emotions that it conveys. Um, you know, there's a gentleman named Peter Goralnik who writes about soul music and other kinds, including the pretty much the definitive biography of Elvis. Um, and he wrote an early book about soul music in which he called it a message from the heart. Mm. And I think that's true. And I don't know if you're familiar with a, a woman named Sharon Jones, who's a was a contemporary soul singer with the Dap Kings out of Brooklyn. And unfortunately, she just passed. And she said, and what comes from the heart reaches the heart. And I just think there, there, there is a powerful aesthetic experience that listening to these great singers and these great players perform, just the human organism responds to that music because of the beat, because of the emotion, and because of the sheer skill. And one thing I tried to really emphasize in my book is, you know, Soul music is just not something that people can like open their mouths in and they're just so soulful that it pours out of them and then the next thing you know, they sold a million records, you know. There's a craft to this, you know. These people are rehearsing. They are honing their craft. They're failing and then they're succeeding. And I tried to emphasize that, you know, like any other artist, they work at their craft and this is something that it's not just an informal thing that happens because of their innate Abilities. Well, it was genuine reverence that they created the Blues Brothers because they so admired Sam and Dave and the and the and the soul genre. Mm-hmm. Yeah, turned a lot of younger listeners onto it. Yes, and then they, you know, they they then went on and had Sam Moore, uh, who I interviewed for my book on in one of their Blues Brothers movies. I forget which one, and I, I think you're right. I think they were sincere in their appreciation for that music. Um, I think they had James Brown in one of their movies and Aretha Franklin Aretha, too, right? Yeah. Where mm-hmm. you, so you interviewed him. Where is he? Mm-hmm. Uh, he's back in Miami. Is um, he still performing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. He just, uh, 
He performed uh, maybe less than a month ago in London with Tom Jones, Sir Tom Jones. Uh, and uh, yeah, he's, he's, I think, 81 now, and uh, he is still performing. Uh, he's got a new album coming out, um, and he sounds great. Wow. I went out to in- Arizona to interview him a couple of years ago when he was living out there, and I saw him perform. And, I mean, he's still got it. And as he explained huh. to me, he thinks he's a much better singer than he was back in the day. He said, because I learned my craft. He said, I was kind of a shouter. Dave and I had a great thing, and we worked hard, rehearsed. and we, But I now that I can't jump around on stage like I used to, and I can't <laughs> just belt it out really strong, I have listened to people like Sinatra, and I've, you know, I've honed my craft, and I'm a much more relaxed and, I'm, uh, you know, a more thoughtful singer than I used to be. So well, I we have that the, we have system. Soul Man queued up. It's not on vinyl, but also mm-hmm. co-written <laughs> co-written by Isaac Hayes. Mm-hmm. And David Porter, I think, right? Yes. that Stratocaster and the horns are just such a big part of it Of course, that's I'm a Soul Man by Sam and Dave, 1967. Uh, that's Sam Moore, Dave Pratter, and written by Isaac Hayes and David Porter. So, you know, when I interviewed Sam Moore, he told me that what he and Dave Prater did was basically they used the call and response between the preacher and the congregation in the black church that they both grew up in. They were both gospel singers. And then later, you mentioned, I think, the horns during that song. Yes. They, Sam told me he thought so the the horns were kind of like the choir behind the preacher. So he and Sam were the preacher in the congregation that traded off, and that the horn section that stacks the Memphis horns became the, took the role of the choir. That is so cool! What a great way of dis, of uh, explaining it, isn't mm-hmm. it? Um, let me read you this email from Henry Stone mm-hmm. Music. Keeping mm-hmm. the history alive and letting the world know about the true Miami sound with labels like Cat, Dade, Drive, Dash, Cat. Glades, Blue Cradle, Bold. I don't know. Do you know those? Anyway, even the Allman Brothers recorded for Henry Stone and made the Dwayne and Greg album, and Steve Alamo co-wrote Melissa. And he's happy Mm. that you're on the show. That's uh, henrystonemusic.com. Yeah, that's that's probably Henry's son, Joe. And uh, he's absolutely right. And Henry Stone had many, many labels 
um, including the ones that he mentioned, that Timmy Thomas was on Glades, for example. And um, Henry Stone, as I said, he, you know, he, he worked with the Allman Brothers. I mean, he, he worked with Ray Charles. He worked with KC. You know, he, he's probably the, you know, the most dominant person in this whole chronicle. And then we have, okay, I don't know if it's Joy or Joie. I think maybe Joy Purcell writes in that she's enjoying today's interview. Both my mom, Helene Smith, and dad, Johnny Purcell, have been mentioned this hour. Wow. I'm truly enjoying the music today. And that's, of course, Deep City Records. Tell us more about Helene Smith. Uh, oh, that's Jones. great. So that's her daughter. Thank you, Joy. Um, Helene was the first soul queen of Miami. Right. Northwestern High, this, right? The Northwestern uh, you know, Bull. I'm not sure. Yes. Yeah. I'm not sure. Um, and she grew up singing, and she was sort of the first artist that Deep City Records um, featured, and she had some hits. Um, my favorite is one called A Woman Will Do Wrong, which I happen to know is true. Um, and uh, <laughs> now, now. she's got a beautiful voice, and I interviewed her for the book. Um, and there's a nice contemporary portrait of her in the book also. And she... Um, you know, she had a bunch, she had a lot of hits, and and she's she's terrific. And she ended up marrying Johnny Pearsall, who was one of the co-founders of that label. And, and, and so the daughter just wrote us. Their, their and the daughter just yeah, wrote it's us. Great. So, Joy, it's thanks great. for writing in. I'm glad you're enjoying the show. And we need to take our last break. We, before we take the break, let's remind the listeners before we forget that uh, John is going to be at the book signing at Books and Books. That's Monday. Uh, the 25th, that's the uh, Coral Gables Books and Books, and he'll be there with uh, Timmy Thomas, and there will be live music, right, John? Yes, it's going to be great. It sounds like a lot of fun. The Florida Soul event. I think I might head down there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds like it would be a great night. It's, mon- it's this Monday at, I think, 7. Yep. Is it 7 or 7.30? Yep. 7 o'clock. 7 o'clock. Yeah, I'll be, I'll be signing some books. I'll give a little talk. I'll play some classic tunes. I'll show some vintage and some contemporary photos. And then Timmy Thomas, who's also going to introduce me, is going to play some of his great songs on his keyboard uh, mm. with that drum machine that you mentioned. That's before. great. Right. By the way, are you a musician? I am. Harmonica. Uh, I, I am a blues harmonica player um, of no particular distinction. <laughs> no. Uh, I'm, an, I'm, I'm an amateur, and I can't read music. So, okay. Well, um, that doesn't seem to impede uh, a lot of people. So it's uh, <laughs> Professor John Capuya. He teaches journalism and nonfiction narrative at the University of Tampa and also an author. And we're talking about his latest book, Florida Soul, from Ray Charles to Casey and the Sunshine Band. We'll be right back. Alligator. 
Woo! Wow. <laughs> Boy, I remember He was that. still going when I first came here to South Florida in 73. Yeah. Yeah. That was, of course, Wayne Cochran going back to Miami. That was 1966. He was the house band at the barn on the 79th Street Causeway. I'm surprised we haven't had... And became a preacher. And, oh, yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. That's right. And we're speaking... Yes, I, I interviewed him. Hmm? Well, I'm ju- I just oh, want to... Well, tell us about that, yeah. Well, I just want to say we're speaking with John Capullo, who's written Florida Soul from Ray Charles to Casey and the Sunshine Band. And tell us about uh, meeting with him. Yeah, uh, Pastor Wayne, as he now goes by, you know, had a, had a great career. Um, uh, he held it down at the barn for many years, as you know, and he had these crack bands, also horn-driven music. Um, it was kind of a, a doing a James Brown kind of thing. And, and he I danced thought, like him, too, believe he, it or not. He danced great. He wore outrageous <laughs> outfits, which he told me were inspired by the wrestler, Gorgeous George, um, uh, which was the subject of my previous book, strangely right. enough. Um so he, you know, I think he was a talented guy. Uh, you know, I found out, I didn't realize, he was friends with Otis Redding. They both came from uh, rural Georgia. Wow. And they worked gigs together, and they were friends, and they wrote some songs together. And um, he had a lot of success and then ended up doing a lot of work in Vegas. And at one point, he had a conversion, and uh, he gave it up, and he became a, a minister. Uh, he has a thing called Voice for Jesus Ministry in Miami Gardens, and so I sat down with him and had a great long interview, and then I went to hear him preach on the following Sunday. And uh, I think his is a pretty remarkable story. That's a, another one of the chapters in my book. Give the visual of Wayne. Yeah. <laughs> that hair. <laughs> when he performed. That. Yeah. He had a bleached blonde, super high bouffant hairdo, I think. And he wore like skin tight uh, leisure suits or jumpsuits, I think would maybe be yeah, better. Yeah, that's and, that's it. He, and he claimed that he influenced Elvis to start wearing these these gaudy sequined, uh, you know, pretty pretty hideous to buy view outfits. <laughs> uh, and you know, he was a real spectacle, and he could really sing and he could really dance. And I think you know he had a lot of respect from the other performers. Um, he also wrote a song called "Last Kiss," which he did not have a big hit with, but has been. Recorded many, many times. It was probably his biggest moneymaker of his career. Um, that's about a tragic car accident and uh, the, the singer's girlfriend dying. And uh, somehow I found out that goes back to Wayne Cochran, too, and that he wrote it. Wow. Is it a ballad? Yes. Yes, I mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like, I don't want to sing, but it busy goes like, where, oh, where can my baby be? Oh, the sure. The Lord took her away from oh, me. Oh, no, we yeah. all know that. Yeah. I, she's gone to heaven, so yeah. I've got to be good so yeah. I can join my baby when I leave this world. Yeah. Something like yeah. that, you yeah. know? And, and it sounds nothing like what you just played, right? Back to Miami? No, yeah. no. Well, where, oh, where can my baby be? Yeah. Where, where Let's take a telephone call or two. We've got uh, Melinda in Miami. Melinda. No, actually, this is Melina, the singer. Remember oh, Tito yes, Puente, the singer? Oh, yes, Melina. Melina, you were with Tito Puente Jr. Yes. Yes, I came to see you guys not too long ago, and I was going to Memphis, Tennessee, remember? Correct, yes, right. you were going to perform. I, yes, I just wanted to say that I'm thoroughly enjoying, I wanted to let you guys know that I really listen to you all the time. <laughs> and and also, I wanted to say that um. I'm going to try to make it out there on Monday because I find this subject so interesting. Since I grew up in Memphis and now I'm, a, you know, I sing with Tito and I have a salsa band here in Memphis. I mean, in Miami, mm. um, I grew up in Memphis, and all of these people that you um, are talking about, 
uh, you know, like uh, David Porter and all those people still perform mm. in Memphis and all over the world. And I just think it's such an amazing subject, and I can't wait to get the book and read it. So I just wanted to call and say uh, thank you for the show, and thank you for having us before. John, John, and let me let I'll, me tell you this. I'm sorry to interrupt, but John, mm-hmm. Melina and Tito Puente Jr. played live on our program, Voice wow. and Timbal together yes. live. Now, Melina, <laughs> it's quite an Melina wow. is a salsa singer. Right. And she was just moving around here in the studio. (laughs) And actually, it was on Facebook Live. You can probably see it on WLRN's Facebook page. um, That sounds great. And, uh, you know, I I grew up on Tito Puente Sr.'s work, uh, so I'm a big fan. And, um, Melina, if you could come, that would be great. Please come up and introduce yourself. It would be nice to meet you. Tito Jr. brought Tito Sr.'s timbales here to the studio. And by the way, Melina, I did go see Tito at Ball and Chain that Saturday night. Oh, you did? Oh, good, good, good. (laughs) And there was rain on and off, and it was incredible. Yeah. Yes, we had a great time in Vegas. We went to Vegas. Um, First I went to Memphis, and then we went to Vegas, um, and we had a great time. But I just want to let you know that, you know, I'm learning so much from from this talk because I've met, like, you know, Willie Mitchell's grandkids and myself, our friends, and, you know, we grew up together in Memphis, Tennessee, and I just know so much about this music. I'm learning so much more. I mean, that's my second favorite type of music is soul music. So, so you know, I'm just really enjoying this, and I want to thank you guys again for having us, and uh, I'll be there Monday. I'll come in and say hi. So okay, great. Thanks okay. so much. Yeah, Thanks. Right, okay, you Thanks. guys have great, great to talk day. to you. Thank We're you really too. short on time, but we okay. want to move in a little bit of I'm Your Puppet. Yes. Okay, so that's James and Bobby Purify, I'm Your Puppet, 1966. That is such a great song, isn't it? And today's yeah, topic. You know, it's, it's very different from, I think, what people would think of as the sort of the hard-driving soul. You know, it has kind mm-hmm. of a lighter pop sensibility to it. And I think that's another reason to get back to one of our earlier points, why people don't identify Florida soul as readily as they do Memphis or Detroit soul is because there's so many different sounds. You know, in Memphis, you had Stax Records and High Records, and we all know what that sounds like. All the people on those labels sound somewhat similar. Motown is Motown. But in Florida, you had these people up in Pensacola uh, doing what they did, and then contrast that with, for example, Betty Wright's Clean Up Woman. has nothing to do with that. Um, So I think in some ways, having all of this diversity, which is definitely a positive, it has kind of hindered Florida to be recognized as the sole capital that it is. 
You know, one, we don't have much time left, but one thing that we forgot to mention, we were talking about Ray Charles and you interviewed, uh, um, I mean, uh, Sam Moore, and you asked him who he liked on the contemporary scene. I loved that answer. Tell us who he said he really loved. I asked him and he said, Amy. And I said, Amy Winehouse? And he said, yes, Amy's a freak. And I said, well, what do you mean she's a freak? And he said, I mean, she could sing the phone book, and it would sound beautiful. And I, he did a duet with her on the there's a, a Christmas uh, special that they have every year on the BBC. And and then it, it, it was actually soon after that that he uh, she died. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. yeah, so yeah she, I, I thought she was terrific, but to hear Sam Moore say that, I thought really gave me a whole another perspective on her. On her. Some validation. Her yeah, yeah. So... In our last uh, few seconds, what is the state of Florida soul right now, do you think? Mm -hmm. Um, I think it's good. Um, We have many people who still survive and perform. Uh, Sam Moore probably being the leading uh, example. You know, he just performed, I mean, it was, I guess it was a year ago now, but for President and Mrs. Obama at the White House. He's being celebrated in his 80s, like, you know, almost as much as he was in the 60s. Um, There are other artists who continue to perform, including Betty Paget, who's a Miami singer who's really terrific. And I'm hoping I'm going to see her Monday night. Well, we're going to have to get more of this information Monday night because we have to go. We are out of time. All right. Uh, Professor John Capuya, Associate Professor of Journalism and Nonfiction Narrative, University of Tampa, and an author. His latest book, Florida Soul, from Ray Charles to Casey and the Sunshine Band. He'll be at Books and Books and Coral Gables Monday, 7 p.m., with Timmy Thomas performing some of his hits. Thanks, John. It's been a Thank lot of you. it's been great. Thank you. Enjoyed it. Thanks. Hope to see you Monday. And thanks to Dwayne Terry at station WMFNF at Tampa. Also, technical direction from Michael Stock. Also, Richard Ives is lead producer, Polly Landis, associate producer. Tune in tomorrow for Topical Currents and Linda Gassenheimer's Retrospective Program. After nearly 18 years, our Topical Currents program comes to an end next week. Tomorrow is Linda Gassenheimer's final food and dining edition. She's been with us since its inception in 1999. And you're welcome to call in and reminisce. Joseph Cooper and Bonnie Berman, thanks for making public radio your companion today and every day. Stay tuned for Here and Now, next from NPR News.